The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Salah down the line. The ball by Alexander Arnold. Salah, oh, what a finish! How does he do it? It's hit by Salah, and Liverpool are two up. The deal is finally done. Most future is with Liverpool, and we can look forward to another season of him terrorising defences. So, what was the breakthrough? in negotiations and what can we expect from Liverpool's sensational number 11. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of our articles on Liverpool, everything else on the site if you head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. And right now you can do it for a special price. It's a pound a month for six months. That's a pound a month for six months. So head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. I'm Steve Hothersall and we have a front two of James Pearce and Simon Hughes on the pod today on the Red Agenda. And of course, uh, finally, this saga is over. It's brought to an end. Uh, I imagine, James, Mo needed that. Liverpool needed that. The fans needed that. How did it get over the line? Yeah, I think you're right, Steve. Everyone everyone needed that. I think it was. it had been a long, drawn out and at times acrimonious saga, you know, going back to two years ago, really, when... When Rami Abbas, Salah's agent, first first went to Liverpool, keen to try and open discussions over a new deal, and it you know it has dragged on. I think we had reached a point where we all knew that this summer was absolute crunch time because I think if if we'd got into the new season with with it still unsigned, you know I, I think then hope really would have dwindled because then then you're in a situation where you know before long we'd have been talking about it only being three four months before Salah could potentially sign a pre-contract agreement with a with an overseas club and we know that Barcelona were one of a number of top European clubs who'd who'd asked to be kept updated on on his situation with a view to signing him on a free yeah I think you know all the way along we knew that money was a big big factor in this and essentially that an increased offer is what created that breakthrough about you know five to six months after talks had initially kind of faltered once um, Abbas had flown to Miami to meet with FSG president Mike Gordon. At that point, you know, there was a, a big difference between what Liverpool were willing to offer, what, what Salah wanted. And then it dragged on right the way through, you know, the second half of the season into the summer. But I think um, probably not a com- complete coincidence that, you know, once Liverpool had done that deal for Darwin Nunes and were in the process of selling Sadio Mane, you know, you get... Divock Origi off the wage bill as well. You know, what was he probably on about £100,000 a week? That then ultimately led in the middle of June to a revised offer and, and the breakthrough in discussions that ended with uh, sporting director Julian Ward flying out to the Greek island of Mykonos last week and, and sorting out the formalities with, with Salah and, and Abbas. So, um, yeah, I think the, the timing is perfect. You know, when you think that as we sit here now, Liverpool are just... You know, most of the squad, apart from the internationals, are uh, 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 kind of being reunited at Kirby for the start of pre-season. And um, yeah, I think for Klopp, there'll be you know relief as well as joy that the uh, the saga has reached a successful conclusion. When you look at how it's it's panned out, it does look like both sides have played a very brave game here, Sai. And I would imagine both of them feel they've been vindicated with the way they handled it. Yeah, well, you, you see the photographs from the infinity pool. Was it an infinity pool? I think it was in Mykonos, where Salah signed his contract in his bare feet with everybody smiling. Even Rami Abbas was smiling, which 
I know um, Mo Salah and him have a bit of a joke between each other sometimes on social media about how he's usually a bit glum-faced. Um, I kind of think of quite a lot of reasons why he might be particularly happy signing a record-breaking contract. So certainly from Salah's side, happy. I think from his position, I mean, the reality is that obviously Barcelona keen on him, but I know they can't make an offer until it is within the last six months of his contract. You know, it sort of get the impression that maybe the money that Salah was thinking he might get from other clubs wasn't forthcoming. I think he did want to stay at Liverpool, providing the money was right. And I do, I do think players still see money as a sign of how they are valued by the club in the sense that not necessarily the craving from a monetary point of view. It shows that they think that the club thinks that he is a very, very good player and a very important part of the team. And all players want to see that, want to feel that sense of wanting. I think, I think that 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 sort of has, has been a theme throughout this process in the last eighteen months. Um, so I think, I think what it does for Liverpool and, and the player, and I think what has been impressive really is that from a Liverpool perspective, is that it, it gives them a, a certain amount of certainty now. I mean, not so long ago there was a big concern that we were going to spend three or four summers in a row discussing impending exits, but. Obviously, Sadio Mane has gone. It wasn't expected a few months ago that he that he depart, but he's gone a year ahead of time. And now Salah is staying, so we won't be discussing that all next season, which you know is a good thing, I'd say, from the club's perspective, because it won't dominate the conversation, particularly if they have an iffy run. And let's not forget, Jurgen Klopp signed a new contract as well. So Liverpool in a pretty good position, you know, from from that perspective now. So certainly from a, you know the, the club are going to be very happy. I mean, he is. Let's not forget. I know he had a, a a difficult end to the season, but he's still a highly influential player. First half of the season, he was absolutely, I would say, his best form for Liverpool. You don't just fall off a cliff very quickly like that. I, I think that he probably needed a bit of a break. And if you if you look at some of his pictures from holiday, he looks looks very relaxed and refreshed and um, ready to go again. And I think in a World Cup year that Egypt. Unfortunately, from his perspective, you know, haven't competed, haven't qualified for the World Cup. I think that will give him some extra room for rest in the middle of this season. So, you know, I think Liverpool, the expectation should be high on Salah as well. You know, he's become the highest paid player. You know, there's been a lot of noise around it, understandably. But I think Liverpool should be expecting a lot back from him, really, over the next couple of years. And of course, the big question, has he got an infinity pool side, which you, you need to find out for us, of course. Yeah, I, I, I question myself there. It didn't actually, it seemed like one of those really nice <laughs> pools where you look out over the sea, but it wasn't clinging to the edge of a cliff. So maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe that was a sign that he didn't have quite all the money that he wanted. Uh, the before signing this the only thing I noticed was he was sat there and a truck went by on the road in front of him. <laughs> I thought he's not even got a seafront villa. He's got a road between him and the, and the sea. talk about the money James what's he going to be earning under his new deal and where does that sit with FSG's mindset on wage structure well we know it's it's, it's around the 350,000 pound a week mark I, I think you know it's also important to say that you know Liverpool player contracts are all incredibly complicated you know they're they're all highly incentivized they you know there's they're jam-packed full of bonus 
bonuses. I think you only had to look at the way the wage bill leapt up in the accounts. You know, the season that Liverpool won the Premier League and you know, same when they won the Champions League to to see what a difference that that can make. And we know with the Salah deal, there's a lot of clauses in there linked to individual achievements in terms of goals and assists. And you know, when I was pulling the piece together over the weekend, I was told that was something that Salah was you know more than happy to to back himself to fulfil that he embraced that because he's very much of the belief that he will continue flourishing at the top level into his mid 30s I think that's that's been a kind of a theme throughout this 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 kind of we know that FSG have had they've had this thing about you know you don't want to commit vast sums of money to players beyond the age of 30 we know you know that was a big reason why they were prepared to let Genie Wijnaldum go on a on a free when he did a year ago and you know it's probably why that you know they were never going to throw huge money at both Salah Mane and potentially Firmino to keep them around because it, you couldn't have a situation where all three of them were were, were going to be on you know big money up to the age of 33 34 even so in in terms of the actual overall wage structure i mean liverpool officials have been keen to stress that this isn't this isn't like ripping up their wage structure and starting again that this is of course it's at the absolute top end salary is the now now the highest paid player in liverpool's history and he you know he has leapt above you know, into that top bracket where before he was probably, you know, around the same mark as like Thiago and, and Van Dijk. Um, now he is out in, in front, but it's, yeah, heavily bonus and incentivized link that, you know, if, if he continues to perform at the level he has done during his first five years at the club, then then he'll, you know, earn beyond that £350,000 a week mark and will be up there with, you know, the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, which I think... Um, as Simon said before, you know, I think money has been a big part of this saga. But it's, and I think, you know, and obviously when players, I know Salah did it a few months ago, didn't he? When when players come out and say it's not just about money, you know, I think what he, what he meant by that, it was about respect and recognition as well, because um, it's about feeling that your employers really appreciate what they've got. And, and Salah, you know, you know, for, for all the adulation he gets from the supporters, from the fact that he's playing for a manager that's elevated him consistently into that world-class bracket, surrounded by, you know, top talent competing for the biggest trophies. What he always felt he was lacking was a contract that recognised his status as one of the, the greatest players in world football. And that was what he wanted. And, and now he's got it. And um, yeah, it's going to be intriguing to see what happens next. I, I don't I don't see it as a risk. I think... Some people maybe will because of the fact he has just turned 30 and, you know, it is a, what is it, I think it's £55 million in wages. If you base it purely on the, the figure of 350000 for the next three years, that's about £55 million. But, you know, I, I just think, well, I tell you what, if you had £55 million, how would you go about trying to replace Mo Salah? It would, it would be impossible, I think, to, to even get anything like like for like and you know and then obviously you'd have wages on top of that so yeah FSG have obviously had to really push the boat out to to keep him but I think in the end common sense has prevailed it's time at Liverpool would suggest it, it's not going to be a risk look Si you, you've written a piece why Liverpool made uh, Mo Salah their highest paid player in history aged 30 years old and his, his story and his journey is absolutely fascinating so you you've retraced quite a bit of that and, and outlined why he is so different obviously I don't mind admitting that the, the development of his contract negotiation causes on the hop a little bit on Friday. So the immediate task was just to think about, you know, why Liverpool are, 
are keeping them. And, you know, the, the, the big issue around any player when they hit the age of 30 is, you know, the physicality and, you know, can they can they endure and can they justify the amount of money that's been spent on them? Now, it's easy to forget, by the way, that the FSG did make James Milner the highest paid player of the club in 2015. They, he was certainly the highest paid, if not one of the highest paid players at the club. Obviously got him on a free transfer from Manchester City and he's still playing, you know, six, seven years later, albeit I suppose the last few seasons not you know, not a regular starter. But you can't say that that hasn't been a worthwhile investment because of, you know, what he's contributed towards. So football can be a false economy sometimes. I mean, if, if, if Mo Salah scores 30 goals next season, Liverpool win the league, no matter what happens after that, it doesn't matter. You know, he's, the, the investment's been worth it as well. So... I sort of look back at his career and, and, and look back at some of the interviews he did with people in, in, in Cairo and that was the one thing that really stood out for me that was the way how different he was even 10 years ago in terms of looking after his body. You know, I remember one of the, the players that I met in Cairo in 2019 was a guy called Ali Fati and he was playing for sort of one of the mid-ranking Egyptian teams at the same age as Salah. He, he went to the same um, academy as him, uh, uh, Arab contractors, and he said the thing about him that just made him different was his, his appetite to improve his physique and make sure that he was capable of playing in Europe because he was saying a lot of Egyptian footballers don't take maybe diet as seriously as they should. Um, and, you know, that he'd seen sort of Cristiano Ronaldo. So he remembers being in the room with him when Cristiano scores a goal and takes off his shirt. And Salah was like, that's what you have to look like to become you know, a very good footballer in Europe. So he has always taken that side of his game very seriously. And I think that's why, you know, that this this deal with Liverpool is, is more of a safe one than most players because physically, you know, he's he's an absolute fitness freak. I mean, when, before the Champions League final, you know, speaking to one or two people around the club and that uh, they were just saying that Salah, it's first day pre-season today, he said every single season, first day, he's right at the front of the queue, you know, in terms of not just sort of the sprints, but the endurance. Now, I think it's been noticeable last year or two, you know, he's sort of, he doesn't really beat players by by his speed so much anymore. I don't know if that's because he can't run as fast or whether it's because, you know, teams have adjusted their, their tactics to try and stop him being so effective. But I think in that time, he's become a much better footballer. <laughs> He's a brilliant footballer now, Mo Salah. I think that that's the other side of this. I think it was quite telling that Jurgen Klopp said, you know, that I think we yet to see the best of him, which is quite a claim given, you know, what he's achieved in a short space of time. But then, equally, if he wasn't saying that and he'd just given a big whopping new contract, there'd be something wrong as well, I guess. But yeah, I, I think that that side of his game has improved dramatically in terms of his understanding of the pitch. I think there is a difference between a, a very good player always knows where he is on the pitch. And I think Salah was a very good player when he, he, he you know, he smashed all those goal-scoring records in his first season. But I think a world-class player understands, or a great, understands where everybody else is on the pitch all the time. And I think that's where he's really, really, really improved. And I'd expect him to improve again. So, yeah, I, I think the, the combination of the two, the physicality, being able to, you know, to, to be available. I mean, he's just been available for his, his, his records, been sensational. You know, you, you can't really legislate for a bad injury if a player gets one. But, you know, that's saying, you know, it's very clear to me speaking to people from that side of the, the operation at Liverpool is that players' bodies are less likely to get injured if they are 
in much better shape. It's as simple as that, really. If that makes sense, you know, like sort of mm. be consistent. You know, if if a, if a player like I suppose Jordan Pickford flies into <laughs> Virgil Van Dijk, there's not much you can do about that. But in terms of you know injuries on the pitch, where you, you know running injuries, where you, the knee goes or or a calf, the reason why that doesn't happen so much to certainly to players like Mo Salah is just because the you know the, the physically at the very very top of the game. So yeah, I mean there are there are risks. Kind of put that in the in the piece, as, as you said, Steve. There, there are risks to it. I think one or two people again in the, on the madness of social media are like risks. How dare you describe these risks? That's not me saying that they shouldn't sign him. It is possible <laughs> to think, you know, that that you, it's an absolutely the right thing to do. But there are risks. You've got to accept it. Player gets over the age of thirty. There are still some risks. But I, I think it's a really, a really, a really good decision by Liverpool. I'd, I'd be surprised if they regretted it. And I think he, you know, he he can play. We said it all along for, you know, for since this discussion began about Salah. You know, we said it all along that he could play for a very long time at the highest level. You're listening to the Red Agenda. Now the Euro starts this week, and the Athletic will be with England's lionesses every step of the way on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. So if you join uh, Lindsay Hooper. Kate Borsay and a host of former England stars, including Kelly Smith and Rachel Yankee, will be covering the tournament's biggest stories up and down the country from Old Trafford to Wembley. Just search for the Athletic Women's Football Podcast in all the usual places. So in terms of Mo Salah, James, we we know he's durable, we know he's driven. And we know he understands the history of the football club. We've talked about it before. I did an event uh, he was involved in before Christmas where he, he essentially reeled off some of the stats around Ian Rush. I just wonder how high he can actually get now in terms of these lists and what it means to him. So he's, he's what, he's nine goals off Michael Owen. But uh, I don't know, Billy Little's on 228 goals. He, he must have some of these targets in his sights. Yeah, well, when you, when you look at that, that all-time list... You know, he what is he up to ninth already, isn't he? 100 and, 156. You know, when you when you look at some of the names that he's likely to bypass in and go and go above in the next twelve months on it on its own. You know, Michael Owen was he two behind? I think sixteen behind Kenny Dogleash, only twenty seven behind Robbie Fowler, and then you've got Steven Gerrard three three beyond that. So you you know you you've got a situation by probably you know if he gets anywhere near the standards he's set in the the first five years at Liverpool, then we'd probably be talking about him going ahead of Steven Gerrard before the end of the 2022-23 season and being in the the top five. And then, as you said, then then you then you're suddenly targeting people like Billy Little and Gordon Hodgson. And I know um, you know during his time at Liverpool, he's grown increasingly friendly with with Ian Rush, and there's a a real good bond there. I think you know Ian Rush has obviously challenged him to. To go and beat his all-time record, but I think even for someone of Mo Salah's talent, that's going to be beyond him. With Rush on 346, Roger Hunt is second on 285. So what's that? You know, he needs he needs 130 to go beyond him. It's possible, isn't it? If he was to stay for another four, say another four seasons, that's not beyond the, the absolute realms of possibilities. It's funny, isn't it, with players because they always play down the the personal stuff and it's always all about the team but I think I think we all know that Salah does love you know those personal accolades as well and what and why not you know they because you know usually if you pick up the personal accolades you collect team ones as well because if you're you're delivering at the absolute top end of your game and yeah when you think this was a season when you know he added you know he did the double didn't he with the football writers footballer of the year award the PFA award as well and yes 
as we talked about before, there was that drop-off in the final few months of the season, but that was hardly a big surprise because I think, well, two things. One, it would have been possible to have maintained the, the, the crazy standards he'd set from August through to January. And and I think also, you know, just, just the mental and physical fatigue of, you know, I've already played something like six lots of extra time or something for club and country. And, and then when you throw in the, the kind of emotional, you know, side of losing the final of AFCON and the World Cup playoff. And um, so, you know, I think when you speak to the staff, they, they feel that he probably needed that break this summer as much as anyone. And he's had, was he had, you know, five five weeks off, I think, since Paris. You know, he's not one of the ones reporting back to, to Kirby today. He'll be one of the internationals that, you know, the, I think there's 11 of them that report back next Saturday for the flight to Bangkok for that tour of Asia. So he's got he's got a few more days to enjoy before, um, yeah, back in the, the thick of it. And I think, I think the other thing is, that obviously, there was a lot of talk about you know when this saga was going on about you couldn't have a situation where you give Salah what he wants and then suddenly you've got you know other agents and players banging on you know what was once Michael Edwards's office door and is obviously now Julian Ward's door but um certainly from what I've heard so far the other senior professionals there are absolutely delighted for him and are just glad that it's it's been positively resolved because um you know I think the message was that you know he deserves every penny because they they admire the fact that they get to to play on a on a daily basis with someone as gifted as Mo Salah and they seem universally excited that that will continue at least for the next three years. You can see um, Trent's reaction actually on um, if you go to James's piece on the Athletic right now they've incorporated a snippet of the the Sky Sports interview of Martin Brundle catching up with Trent on the grid at the. Uh, Silverstone Grand Prix yesterday. Brundle knew nothing about football, but Trent was quite happy to answer a question on Salah, and he seemed delighted with it all. Um, you, you've mentioned how great Sai he is in terms of his improvements as a footballer, goals, assists. Is there anything to suggest that there'll be any sort of evolution in how he's used? Um, obviously, he's dominated the right side with Trent behind him. But we see the introduction of uh, of Nunes and you know and other figures in the team. Will it just continue as was, or do you expect something different? Yeah, I mean the indication is, I mean next season Liverpool at certain moments or starting certain games will line up a bit differently. I've written about this, you know, after Liverpool signed Nunes and touched on it a little bit in the Salah piece, which went up on on Friday, because you know there is the feeling that the, the teams particularly who, who've come to Anfield and operated with a, a flat-back five, shall we say, uh, like Spurs did, you know, had, had a lot of joy against Liverpool that night, could have won the game at Anfield, really, if you look back at that game. And then and then obviously Wolves did it with quite a lot of joy, although it, I guess, you know, there was a lot of tension around that, that game as well, which played into it. And, you know, Liverpool have had it, found it harder against these teams who really well-drilled and organised with, with, with a five-man defence this season. And I think it's a measure, really, of sort of the full process at Liverpool. That, you know, they recognise this and they have to maybe maybe think a bit differently about how they play against certain teams. So, against Wolves, Klopp switched it to a 4-2-3-1, put Firmino on the last 20-25 minutes. Firmino didn't actually do that well in the game, but the, the shift in the, 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 the formation did help the team because it freed up space around them. And I wouldn't be surprised if that did happen next season, you know, a bit more. So, how Salah fits into that? I mean, what, what, one of the reasons why they're keeping him is it's very difficult to find 
a player of his quality. You know, left-footed player who plays off the right and has scored the number of goals that he scores. I mean, that's what Liverpool are keeping him for. You know, goals. They want those goals and I don't think the club sets targets for players, but you'd be expecting at least 25 a season, you know, overall at the very least. So that, that would take him up into, you know, way into the 200s uh, by the end of the year three. But, you know, Salah, I think, is another play, is a player who can play centrally as well. I think uh, if they do but go with that four-two-three-one and use Firmino a bit more as a number 10, which I think he's well suited to, I think Salah potentially could play that role. Of course, uh, Fabio Carvalho has signed for Liverpool as well. He was unveiled yesterday with, with, with less fanfare, it's fair to say, compared to the deal that was made for Salah. But I, I think he, he offers Liverpool a couple of options as well for next season. It's quite clear that you know a young player is never going to get any guaranteed game time, but he must have a, a decent confidence that he's going to play and feature for this Liverpool team and, and, and develop. So it'd be interesting to see where he fits in, in into this because I think he played a lot off off the right in a similar sort of Salah position for Fulham last season, which could allow Salah to play more centrally. Um, but I think he's quite a, a flexible player who, who can who can maybe play in the number 10 as well. So I, th- I think that'll be something to, to keep an eye on next season. James can pick that up on Fabio Carvalho. Liverpool player who's now, he's moved from Fulham. Um, how excited should we be? Marco Silva talked of him playing a attacking football, dominating games. From everything I've, I've looked at, this could be a big signing for the Reds. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool made a, a big push to, to sign Carvalho at the back end of the January window on that. At that time, you know, they, it was with the deadline looming, it was just impossible to get all the paperwork done, which would have involved, you know, signing him and then loaning him back to to Fulham for the rest of the season. But, you know, I, I don't think there was ever any doubt that it, the deal was still going to happen. It was just, you know, it was just a case then of making sure that they um, they got everything secured and agreed with, with Fulham um, because... You know the, the player himself. I think, as he said in an introductory interview with the club website over the weekend, that um, that it was a very easy decision once he knew that that Liverpool wanted to sign him. And um, you know, I think it says a lot as well when you you, know, you you look listen to how articulate he is for a, a young player, and you know how much he was admired and loved by everyone, players and staff at Fulham. He's a he's a real big talent, and I think I think he ticks a lot of boxes for Klopp. I think versatility is a big one with Carvalho I think um, you know probably long term his future will be in the midfield potentially as like a number eight but I think initially we might see him you know used further forward you know I know people that have watched him play for Fulham think that you know ideally probably his best role would be as a number 10 which you know as Simon was talking about just then if Klopp does go with the 4-2-3-1 on a um, on a more regular basis this season, then Carvalho is a great option there. So um, of course he knows Harvey Elliott very well from their in their time together coming up the ranks at, at Fulham, which I'm sure that will help him settle in. So yeah, I think you know with Carvalho and obviously Calvin Ramsey coming in from from Aberdeen as well as as Trent's understudy, Liverpool have added you know two you know really really exciting young players into the mix and. When you when you throw in Darwin Nunes as well, I think um, I think it's been a real positive five weeks for the club. On the back of the kind of the heartache of what happened in Paris and all the nonsense and what disgrace really that fans had to endure off the field, and you know the number of people I've spoken to that were 
pretty pretty down in the dumps after that in terms of just like the despicable way in which they've been treated by you know the the police and the officials in in France and I think you know to, to miss out on the Premier League by such a narrow margin and then the Champions League final I think it feels like a lot has changed since then in quite a short period of time and um you know and, and I think it is a real positive and, and I did a mailbag over the weekend where subscribers asked various questions and one of them was you know do you honestly think that the squad is stronger than it was last season and I do actually because I think you know you could you could probably argue I know I, know, I think what the guy was arguing that well, hang on a minute, we've lost Origi and, and Minamino and Mane you know and, and haven't you know so almost like an attacker down but I think I don't really I don't really see it like that because I think I think Darwin Nunes is going to have a massive, massive part to play. Certainly, you know, it's. I think he he's going to prove to be a, you know, a, a very, very impressive replacement for Mane. And then, you know, you've got someone like Carvalho coming in, who's a, a great option. I also think we'll see a lot more of Harvey Elliott this season. You know, I, th- I think obviously we we saw in the early stages of the last season what he was capable of before he got that horrendous injury. And then I think you know it was always probably going to be this season before we saw the best of him again and so yeah people will still point I guess to the the midfield area I think if you were being ultra critical that would probably be the the one area of the squad that you would say your question is there enough depth and I, I don't mean depth really in terms of numbers because I think he's got enough numbers it's almost in terms of durability and and quality because I think you know you are relying on you know Tiago and and Henderson you know heavily to stay fit and for for Elliot and Curtis Jones to really kick on but yeah by and large I think it's been a you know a really really successful summer and certainly a, a very busy start to Julian Ward's tenure as sporting director when you look at the ins the outs and probably most importantly a lot getting Salah's contract sorted completely positive couple of weeks you did mention that the cloud of Paris which still hangs over the club and many people want answers. Saya, we're just going to finish with a piece that you've written, why Britain's most senior politicians are avoiding discussing Paris. I know that's a massive question and we could go on for a long time, but let's try and condense this a, a little bit. What is the answer to that question? Why are they not getting more involved? I think in the in the aftermath of Paris, or should I say the immediate aftermath, obviously the coverage of the event probably hasn't helped because obviously I was in the stadium um, but I've since been told that, that a lot of the, the sort of the media coverage broadcasting coverage was quite critical of the Liverpool supporters unnecessarily obviously I mean we've established that since that the problem sent from organisation through social media and I think reading between the lines speaking to a lot of politicians over the last couple of weeks it's been viewed from high in those moments as, as, as very a controversial issue. Um, I think Keir Starmer, for example, has, has avoided quite a lot of controversial issues over the last couple of months, whether it's, it's rail strikes or various other things. It was not really commented on them, waiting for Boris Johnson to slip up, as he has done regularly. But um, obviously Liverpool is a, is a Labour city. The sad reality for Liverpool as a city, and I suppose the supporter base, is that Keir Starmer hasn't said anything about what happened in Paris, even though close ally of his, Sadiq Khan, who's a London mayor, was sat in the stadium in Paris. We know this because we've seen photographs of him there in the in the months since he hasn't mentioned a word about about what he experienced or any solidarity with some of the some of the local politicians, Labour's politicians who've spoken a lot. And and it must be it must be made clear here that locally Labour 
I've, I've been very good. I'm very convincing. The problem is that, that I think that with a lack of a lack of voice from from high up, I do I do wonder where this is going to go, particularly with the the UEFA review coming down the line. Within Labour, I believe that the the, the, the strategy is being to let Lucy Powell, who's a shadow sports minister, uh, to deal with it, and you know she she has dealt with it well. But at the end of the day, it's not the it's not the leader of the opposition. Meanwhile, Boris Johnson's barely said anything. Well, he said nothing about it. He since since Paris is is only. His only uh, comment about the the chaos was through a spokesman within 24, 48 hours of what happened, and that's been it. And since the Tories haven't reported back to Parliament as as requested by the, the Speaker in Parliament, so it feels like there's there's a lack of political leadership in this. Unlike in France, where you know the, the, there has been a determination, I think, to get to the truth and to challenge the authorities, it does worry me where where this leads. Really, given given the lack of strong vocal leadership political voices that are needed um because i'll just finish on this i mean i think that had it been any other um environment had people going to the theater in the central in central paris in their hundreds left the theater being dragged across the streets being attacked being robbed and in some cases molested we'd be hearing a lot more about this from politicians for some reason when you put a football shirt on or wear a scarf, it, it seems to mean that, that you are treated with suspicion from minute one and don't necessarily get the support that you'd, you should be getting because, you know, let's face it, Keir Starmer, Boris Johnson barely said anything in a month. I just find it absolutely incredible. Check out Sai's piece on The Athletic now. It's well worth a read. My thanks to James and Sai as always on the Red Agenda. Don't forget that... Uh, Brand new podcast following England's Lionesses every step of the way uh, because the Euro starts this week. So make sure you tune into that one as well. Search for the Athletic Women's Football Podcast in all the usual places. Thank you for listening to The Red Agenda. We'll return next week. <laughs>